This is Speaking of Writers on Capital Region Sunday. I'm Steve Richards. Nathaniel Philbrick, one of America's preeminent historians and the National Book Award winning and New York Times bestselling author of In the Heart of the Sea, Bunker Hill, and Valiant Ambition, returns a third and final time to the American Revolution, a subject he's researched and written about for 20 years. The book, In the Hurricane's Eye, chronicles a remarkable year leading up to the siege of Yorktown, the battle that ultimately broke a years-long stalemate with the British and earned America her freedom. A narrative filled with historically misunderstood naval engagements, such as the Battle of the Chesapeake, which was fought without a single American soldier, and unsung heroes lost to history like Spain's Francisco Saavedra who provided the French with both money and ships. In the hurricane's eye also highlights Washington's underappreciated naval cunning and his fraught relationship with French leaders. The result is a surprising, thrillingly told, revelatory conclusion to his groundbreaking series reinterpreting the American Revolution. Happy to have Nathaniel Philbrick back on this program. Welcome. Great to be with you. Uh, your two previous books, Bunker Hill and Valiant Ambition, have, have given readers a new way of looking at the revolution. With this one, Nathaniel, and the Hurricane's Eye, you return to the subject focusing on the events that lead up to Yorktown, uh, the siege that ultimately broke a years-long stalemate with the British and, and earned America freedom. What drew yeah. you back to this time period? Well, you know, uh, the, my last book uh, before this, Valiant Ambition, ends with Jenner, uh, Benedict Arnold's treason. And it's the fall of 1780, and America's reached a nadir. Uh, it cannot get any worse than this. We're, we, One of our best generals has turned traitor. Uh, the American people have turned their backs, it seems, on the revolution. They haven't uh, uh, paid the taxes needed to pay for Washington's army, which is withering on the vine. Recruitments are down to negligible numbers. And Washington realizes, you know, that his only hope, of finishing this in a positive way is with the help of his, our ally, the French, who entered the war soon after the Battle of Saratoga and um, have been an ally since the spring of 1778. And he knows that it's the French Navy he needs. He needs a large naval force to negate the effect of the British Navy. The British have the strongest navy in the world and throughout the course of the Revolution have had control of the eastern seaboard. If he can gain naval superiority with the help of the French Navy and a portion of the seaboard, it would give him the chance to win the victory on land that might win this thing. And so this book tells the story of that year, uh, because Yorktown would occur just a year after uh, Benedict Arnold's treason. And it's the naval battle fought before Yorktown, the, uh, the Battle of the Chesapeake on September 5th, that really sets up this great victory when the French, for the basically first and last time in the history of the world, defeat the British, send the fleet that had been sent from New York to rescue Lord Cornwallis, send it back to New York, allowing Washington and Rochambeau to close the trap and uh, force Cornwallis to surrender. This Battle of the Chesapeake, Nathaniel, what is so unique about this battle? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's the unknown battle of the revolution, really, because, you know, as Americans, we like to think we, are, we won this on our own. But the fact of the matter is we needed this naval battle to make it happen. And, uh, it, you know, it's been called, and I think rightly so, the most important naval battle in the history of the world, given the ramifications of what happened afterwards. And naval battles were fascinating. You know, these were ships of the line. 
uh, the absolute pinnacle of technology in the 18th century. Uh, a British seventy, a British or French 74 had 74 cannons between 500 and. Uh, 750 men um, made of uh, more than 2,000 oak trees with, um, uh, 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 excuse me, MB. please, no, sorry, can we redo that? Yeah, go ahead, you can pick up right there. Yeah, um, if, so if, uh, a ship of the line was made with 2,000 oak trees, 57 acres of forest. I mean, these things could be out there for months at a time. And uh, when you created a, what was known as a line of battle with these ships, you created the floating equivalent of a fortress. And they would line up uh, sometimes as close as just 50 yards from another and blast away. And so these things were exciting, dangerous. And in this case, the fate of America depended on this naval battle between the British and the French. We're chatting with Nathaniel Philbrick here on Speaking of Writers. Uh, his book is In the Hurricane's Eye, The Genius of George Washington and the Victory at Yorktown. Let's talk about that genius of George Washington. Uh, what surprised you the most about the general? And what lessons can our current political leaders learn from Washington, who seemed to prioritize America's alliance with the French over his own ego and setbacks, too? Yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting example, certainly. Well, you know, uh, Washington, we think of Washington as permanently attached to his horse, you know, a land-based general. But the fact is he, he grew up in Tidewater, Virginia, on the Rappahannock River, ultimately li- lived on the Potomac uh, in a house named for a, a British uh, admiral, uh, Mount Vernon. And uh, he, he had a keen understanding of the importance of waterways, whether it was a river, a lake, or, or the Atlantic, or the Chesapeake, to, to the, the strategic side of, of a, a, uh, a war. And so, you know, the, he, he, he had, and when I talk about his brilliance, you know, I talk about his ability to focus, to, to realize what is the one thing he needed to accomplish to make things happen. This was not a man would go, uh, go on wild tangents. Uh, you know, he had a, the ability to, to turn out the static of life and focus. And uh, it was his decision that naval superiority was what had to happen, was, which was made the uh, victory at Yorktown possible. And, you know, he, he was uh, someone uh, who, who had great emotions. You know, there are times when he's angry, there's times when he's elated, but he never lets those emotions get in the way of what he thinks is best for his country. And, and as he would write in a letter to Admiral uh, de Grasse, the French admiral who would lead the French fleet to victory at the Battle of the Chesapeake, he would say, greatness is not what we do for ourselves, but what we do for others. And I think that is a lesson that uh, leaders today could could keep in the forefront, because ultimately it's not about the person who is serving the public. It is about the public. And uh, what Washington realized is if he was going to win this, if he was going to earn his place in history, he was going to have to do what was not, which was right, not for him, but for the American people. You touch on this a little bit in the book. Where did he stand on slavery? He was, a typ- uh, in many ways, a typical slave owner of his day, um, but he was tortured by the reality of slavery. If, um, you know, by the end of the Revolution, uh, he had um, tinkered with the idea of just 
getting rid of all his slaves. He, he, he didn't like it at all. He realized, he would ultimately realize by the time he became president that slavery was the, the greatest threat to the Union. And, uh, and he would, uh, um, but time and time again, you know, he was, would act as a, as a normal planter. And, you know, one of the tragedies at Yorktown, it's a great victory for America, but Washington insisted that the British, who had freed many of the slaves in Virginia, had thousands of them with his army, he insisted that they return those slaves to their, their American slave owners, including some of them were his. And so I think you can look to Yorktown. It was this great victory that created our independence, but in many ways it's where the road to the Civil War began. Uh, but that said, Washington, late in life, realized that you know slavery was the issue, and in his will he would free the slaves he owned. Uh, many of them were owned by his wife Martha, and he was not able to free them. But by freeing his own slaves, he would be the only slaveholding founding father to do such and make an example that I think um, is important to realize. Chatting with Nathaniel Philbrick here on Speaking of Writers. His book is In the Hurricane's Eye, The Genius of George Washington and the Victory in Yorktown. Nathaniel, you spent more than 20 years researching early America, its relationship with the sea. How did it feel finishing, and it was emotional, uh, right, the, this trilogy after spending so much time and energy studying it? Oh, absolutely. It was really, emo you know, I kept wanting Washington to have that high-five moment, you know, and yeah. say, yes, I did this. And, uh, but, uh, you know, after this great victory at Yorktown, he learns that his stepson, Jackie Custis, who was with him at Yorktown, had contracted camp fever, and he dies just days after the great victory. And so while the rest of the country is celebrating, he and his wife Martha are in mourning at Mount Vernon, you know, he just doesn't have that. And then, you know, we have the victory at Yorktown, but it would be another two years before the war would officially end when the British evacuated from New York. And, and uh, you know, the Congress would let Washington down by not coming up with the money to pay his officers. And at one point, his officers uh, threatened to basically revolt, march on Philadelphia, and uh, basically get their pay at gunpoint. And this would have been a kind of military coup that would have destroyed everything they had fought for. And Washington is able, was able to put down what is known as the Newburgh conspiracy. But, you know, by the end of the revolution, most of his officers were disenchanted with him because they never got paid. You know, he didn't have that high-five moment. And, and, and he, he leaves New York after the British evacuation, makes his way to Annapolis, where the Continental Congress has moved from Philadelphia because they're fearful the army will uh, attack them. Uh, and he surrenders his commission. And, um, and this he did in, in uh, late December of, of 1783. And uh, it's, uh, he's, he's intent on getting back to Mount Vernon, 50 miles away, by Christmas. And so he sets out with two aides and his enslaved man servant Billy Lee, and uh, they arrive at Mount Vernon on Christmas Eve. And I have to say, I was ri I finished writing that chapter just before Christmas on Christmas Eve uh, a, a year ago, and so it was extraordinarily emotional for me to uh, you know come to the end of the book. Just at the same time of the year, Washington came to the end of of the the revolution. And, uh, you know, it's an experience I'll always treasure. And what is next for you and your writing? 
Well, you know, I've I've had enough of bloodshed for a bit. Uh, you know, and I've been in the you know typically I'm in the archives for about three years before I can start writing a book, and I'm itchy. I want to get out there, and I'm having a hard time letting go of Washington. I want to know what happens next. And uh, as it turns out, when he became president, he uh, realized he was a leader of 13 largely independent states who had no sense of nationhood. So he decided he needed to set out on a three-legged road trip of visiting all 13 states, uh, traveling as far north as Portsmouth, New Hampshire, as far south as Savannah. And um, uh, my wife, Melissa, and I and our dog, Dora, are following Washington's travels as president. It's going to be called Travels with George in Search of Washington's America. We, we've done a portion of it and have really enjoyed it so far, but have a long way to go. All right. Nathaniel Philbrick, the book in the hurricane's eye, the genius of George Washington and the victory at Yorktown. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it was a great pleasure. And you can get more info. Connect with Nathaniel Philbrick on his uh, website, nathanielphilbrick, all one word, dot com. Also on Facebook and Twitter, too. And that is Speaking of Writers in Capital Region Sunday, a production of Town Square Media Albany for this week. Back again next week with another edition. I'm Steve Richards.